This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author, Thomas Earle. Welcome to the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. I have with me today, David Linthicum, Chief Strategy Officer at Deloitte and author of an incredible new book that was just released, An Insider's Guide to Cloud Computing, which I've been just going through in preparation for this interview and which has really taken me aback in terms of its honesty and the detail and concise uh, attitude towards documenting what's happening in cloud computing today in the industry, in the markets, and with the technology, as well as the direction that it's going in, the evolution of cloud computing and the future. As David sees it, he has the courage to make some very strong predictions about where all of this is heading. And I'm very, very excited to delve into this today with you, David. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Thomas. This this is very flattered to be on the podcast. And uh, you've been one of my idols for a long period of time. I could not believe the number of books that you wrote in the past and and uh, and lately. So they're, they're kind of the Bibles of the uh, people who are putting in complex distributed architectures and making them work from so the cloud and and digital transformation systems. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you, David. That's very kind. I need to know, you know, David, you deal with real world scenarios all the time. You have for many years. What inspired you to write this book? Well, I think that uh, there's not enough candor out there in, in what's working in the world of cloud computing. We're probably, uh, depending on what you look at, we're in the 20th year of cloud computing. If you look at really kind of the uh, evolution of software as a service-based systems is kind of the start of it and outsourcing various systems. And, you know, it kind of started back in the 90s and evolved into something that's fairly significant in what value we can bring to the business. And I, I found that there's just a lot of miscon- misconceptions out there in how people are leveraging this technology, what works and what doesn't. And also we've learned a lot in the last 20 years. So what has changed and you know, what was an accurate depiction of how the value of cloud computing can bring to different situations? What about the technology? And really kind of thinking pragmatically about the use of this technology, stepping out of the hype, stepping out of the religion, you know, stepping out of the office politics around it, and look at this as a science. And so, in other words, if this technology is going to add value to my business, what is that value? Where can I find it? And what steps do I need to get to that value? And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding these days. And I just wanted to write a book that cleared it up. And I try to do this in my InfoWorld blog, but obviously at 300 words, uh, you know, a couple of times a week, uh, it can't have that much of an impact. So I wanted to put it into a book form uh, where people could reference it and uh, really get an idea of how to succeed with this technology. And if, you know, if, if I get a handful of people that use this to save money, save their business, to take their business to the next level, it's all worth it. That's what I'm looking to do. I think this book will accomplish that. I think this will become the new Bible of cloud computing, in my opinion. I have not come across a book that is such candor and really, you know, not just hits a nerve, but also just strikes a a chord in terms of where an industry really is at. You've really got your pulse, um, your finger on the pulse of cloud computing as it exists today. But what I was most thrilled to read about was your predictions of where this is all evolving to. 
I found that fascinating and I, I learned a lot from that. I, I'd like to know more about those predictions. You know, if we could get into those a bit in terms of where you see the super cloud or the meta cloud, how that's taking shape now, how you see that materializing in more enterprises, and then also the federated cloud applications, how applications will federate clouds. To me, those are two very, very important upcoming milestones in the evolution of cloud computing, but not just cloud computing, in the evolution of IT. All of this, I think, will redefine much of how we see the IT enterprise in the future. Um, let's start with the, the meta cloud, the super cloud. Uh, I've read about it. I think I understand um, enough about it, but why don't you put it in your own words as to what that is and, and why it is so important? Yeah, thanks. I, I think that it, there's a lot of discussion about it these days, um, which is important because I think people are understanding the value. But the super cloud or meta cloud is really a set of cross-cloud services that's able to sit above the siloed cloud services, even the legacy systems and some of the edge-based systems. So instead of trying to manage each cloud provider on its terms, in other words, with its security and its governance and its operational capabilities and its app dev test capabilities, all those sorts of things, we start looking for common services that are able to logically sit above the various cloud providers. Because one of the things I found in studying this, you know, four years ago at Deloitte, and we addressed this with cloud complexity management as our new, you know, kind of a, an approach to make this happen. The biggest barriers that people were hitting was the complexity in deploying these things. So they're moving to multi-cloud for a natural reason. They wanted to leverage whatever best-of-breed technology that they could find out there. Sometimes that was in Amazon Web Services, sometimes Microsoft, sometimes Google, sometimes none of the three, and they had to do things on-premise or even use a secondary cloud provider. So they're getting punished for doing that because the more different clouds, the more heterogeneity that comes into the problem domain, the difficulty that comes in in your ability to manage that domain. In other words, your ability to have cross-cloud services that removes a lot of the complexity. So if I'm leveraging three clouds, which is normally what a multi-cloud is, and I may have 80% of my applications in one cloud, 10% in another, and then maybe 5% in another, and then 5% on a secondary cloud provider, um, I have to deal with four or five different security systems, four or five different operational systems, four or five mm -hmm. different uh, database management systems that I'm leveraging. And I'm giving the developers and the innovators in my company the uh, choice to go out there and leverage whatever technology they need to leverage to create the best solution moving forward. And I think that's the best way to do it. Complexity is going to be a, a, a byproduct of that, just because the number of systems that they're building and deploying and things like that. So... You have to keep technology professionals who understand how those things work in the, each particular cloud provider. So, uh, you know, security engineer for AWS, security engineer for Microsoft, security engineer for Alibaba, security engineer for Oracle, other things. And it becomes an administrative and a complexity nightmare in that I just don't have enough resources going to able to operationalize those systems. And what I saw is that people were standing up, they're moving from, say, 5,000 cloud services under management to 30,000 cloud services under management. And those are real numbers, wow. by the way. Wow. And they just can't keep track of all of the moving parts. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the moving parts that are there, but basically trying to deal with complexity on complexity's terms 
is always going to be a mistake. So moving into what MetaCloud SuperCloud is. So the idea is to leverage abstraction and automation to create a layer of technology that sits logically above the cloud providers, which could be confusing. That instance of it may run on different cloud providers and some on-premise, it doesn't matter. But I'm able to deal with security using one logical layer. I'm able to deal with operations using one logical layer, app dev test using one logical layer. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these sorts of things where instead of implementing everything at the native, using whatever native interfaces and capabilities and tool sets that the cloud providers provide, I'm able to find, provide common technology to make that happen. And obviously the, you know, the poster child of that would be AI ops and security managers and anything that operates across cloud. And those things are starting to emerge these days. So the super cloud meta cloud is just a response to dealing with the complexity and your ability to manage that complexity in a way that's going to allow it to scale, but also add additional services underneath it without increasing the complexity, increasing the cost. And that's what people were running into. This became a cost and resource issue. In other mm-hmm. words, I can't spend three times as much on operating my systems. I need to operate the systems near what I spent on premise, you know, 20 years ago as a, as a relation to revenue. And if I'm going to do that, this really kind of is the only way to make that happen. And so looked at this as, okay, if we're dealing with cloud complexity, deal with, I'm going to create something called cloud complexity management. And this is something with my LinkedIn learning course, I think four years ago now, Ugh. I'm getting old. And the idea was to find how you create these layers and how you create these layers of abstraction and automation in between these various systems to mediate the complexity and do it conceptually and then figure out the technology aspects of it to make it happen. Um, you know, I think people are just picking up on the nuances of that right now and really kind of taking that to the next level. So SuperCloud MetaCloud will be building that. So the industry started to call it that. Uh, I don't really care what you name it. I always said I don't want to be a father of a buzzword uh, mm-hmm. again. Um because eventually uh, things, uh, people, it just kind of opens you up for a target. Um, but your ability to do this in a consistent and repeatable way across problem domains using a custom bespoke stack to make it happen, which really was a super cloud, meta cloud way, is going to be hugely beneficial for the business. Of course, the problem is you're going to have to stop, do some architecture. You know how that goes. Um, pick some technology, do some testing and automation and probably have a one to two year plan to building the super cloud meta cloud to get it in place as you start moving different cloud services underneath it. Mm-hmm. But even though there's accordion and money that's being spent, it's going to be a huge value that comes back to the business. And so what everybody's lobbying onto right now is, uh, okay, what is that? What does it look like? Should standards be applied? You know, what technology is in that stack? And so, um, you know, I've been writing about it and speaking about it, things like that, but it's still fairly misunderstood by organizations out there. And I'm having the conversation a couple of times a week. So moving forward, this becomes uh, basically solving an architectural problem with an old architectural uh, trick. In other words, abstraction automation has been around for a long period of time. We understood how to deal with the data and virtualized systems and API systems and things like that. But bringing this into a domain where we're dealing with hundreds of thousands of service, services and we're able to deal with those services on our terms, not the terms of the service. And that's where people are falling down. They're dealing with complexity on the terms of complexity. In other words, they're just making things more complex to deal with complexity. Mm-hmm. I'm saying make things more simpler to deal with complexity, make it scalable, make it extensible, um, You know, make it something that's going to remove a lot of work, remove a lot of risk, remove a lot of uh, uh, of, of cost out of these systems. And so just put that out there as a, as a solution, wrote about it a lot in the book. Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing and speaking about it. Um, 
you know, in the in in the market. But, you know, I truly believe that's the only way we can take this. So I like the term meta cloud, by the way. Yeah, me <laughs> too. <I> to <laughs> um, in a meta cloud architecture, the governance, the operations and other um, administrative management components are centralized in an abstracted layer. So we have cloud services, we have resources in cloud A, in cloud B, in cloud C, but there's a logical domain in which we put the centralized access to, um, we put services, tools, operations in a centralized, abstracted, logical domain, but physically that domain exists in yep. the cloud. So we mm -hmm. choose cloud A, cloud B, cloud C, we choose which cloud provider offers us the best environment to also put that abstracted layer into. Yeah, we, we can, but also there's no reason we can't use different clouds to run different abstraction layers. We got to remember logically it runs above the physical clouds, mm -hmm. but the thing can physically exist within a cloud if it makes sense to host it in the cloud. Because I kind of put out there as an old architect and there's always an exception to everything that we want to work. Mm -hmm. um, but in some instances we may find there's a stronger AI ops tool, for example, that may run uh, best on Microsoft, and therefore we leave it there, but the security management system runs best on AWS. So we really don't care where it runs. It could run on-premise or even in edge-based systems, as long as it logically spans cloud. Of course, it comes in with more logistics issues and running these things across different cloud providers. We have mm -hmm. to make the architectural trade-offs. But I'm not saying that we have to localize this thing on any particular platform. So some people are suggesting to me it has to exist on-premise. No, it, I, that, that, that doesn't make sense because there's no innovation that's occurring with some of the on-premise systems. It's all occurring in the cloud. So chances are it's going to have to exist physically on a particular cloud provider. And it could be one, two, three. It could be many different cloud providers. But it doesn't really matter because we don't see where it runs. We just use the interfaces which see the different cloud resources. And you were spot on with that. We're mm -hmm. leveraging consuming the cloud resources wherever they exist. So physically exists really doesn't matter. We have a logical layer that sits above it. We deal with the physical resources at the logical layer. We deal with abstraction automation to remove a lot of the complexity in dealing with that stuff. I see this as becoming a de facto model. It makes so much sense. Um, it It is something that once organizations understand its value, understand the architecture behind it, um, will, I believe, adjust their approach toward building cloud-based solutions to use this as a default model. It, it just makes too much sense not to. And in moving toward that direction, you know, thinking of some of the predictions you've made, what I also found so interesting about these revelations is how you candidly talk about the larger cloud providers dominating the markets. And, and what does that mean to the average organization, the average enterprise as to how they should adopt cloud computing? Should they go and dedicate themselves to one cloud provider? Should they go multi-cloud and not put all their eggs in one basket? Should they investigate second-tier cloud providers for their areas of specialization? Or are there risks in doing so because they're not as established as the larger providers? All that kind of ties into um, a meta model in that you can leverage and incorporate and explore different providers while maintaining that level of abstraction and really 
persist that level of, uh, of abstraction over time while you evolve your, your cloud-based digital enterprise over time. It might change dramatically over the years to come with the changes in the industry, but those changes in the industry, their impact upon you is not as dramatic as it would be if you had coupled yourself to individual cloud providers more tightly. And that to me is, uh, it, it's very, very significant um, model that I think will raise a lot of eyebrows, but also open a lot of eyes in, in the industry. Once people go, oh, I see, that's, that's what we should have done. We didn't, but now we know we have to do this because those who do this and invest in that meta abstraction layer they, they will benefit from it greatly over time because they will have that ability to evolve their cloud computing environment to their, to evolve their enterprise to whatever extent it incorporates cloud computing, which can also fluctuate over time to evolve that and maintain that abstracted layer of control. I, do you see it that way too? Yeah, I do. And I think that uh, it, provides you with uh, with more capabilities and actually less risk as well as less cost. I always tell people in architecture, um, when I teach architecture, uh, that the idea is we're trying to keep volatility into a domain as much as we can, into a domain yeah, like that we that can that configure. I like that phrase. <laughs> right. And you just, you just very articulated the problem better than I ever did. Uh, you're getting into different bets on different services you're leveraging from different providers. And moving forward, we have the rise of industry clouds where some uh, we're going to go with verticalized services that are, you know, with a cloud that specializes in just retail processes and retail data. And so we're leveraging that particular cloud provider. Uh, and so it exists unto itself as a separate cloud provider. We just add them into the automation abstraction layer. They appear in the service catalog. Their, their data schemas appear in the data catalog. And we're able, able to leverage them in our own, own terms. In other words, we're not dealing with the native APIs. The, we're letting the abstraction layer deal with that. And that provides a certain set of uh, uh, protection because if they go break bad on you, which uh, what, what my boss used to say a long time ago. In other words, they just go off in a different area. They're bought by somebody who don't want them to, to be bought by, or they basically shut themselves down, which happens with companies. And even the big cloud providers shut down services all the time. Then we have a protection. We're able to push in other additional products to replace that, hopefully very much like it, make a few adjustments. And all the applications, all the interfaces, the way in which we manage, secure, uh, and operate these things stays the same. And so we're not having to change out players and, and hire different people to, you know, operate the various technologies. Well, now we have additional opportunities for that. I do think cloud provide cloud providers are going to grow. The micro providers are going to grow in uh, in in uh, over the next uh, ten years. I wrote that in the book. Sovereign clouds, people who deal with cloud computing in just particular particular countries or regions. For example, I know I've been working with Canadian sovereign clouds out there, and they're doing very well and providing their unique capabilities to deal with their unique laws and governance system for their uh, for their community. And make those kind of work well with traditional cloud providers who are able to spend trillion dollars in building the thing, which everybody can't do. Uh, for primary for storage compute services, things like that, and just mixing and matching the services that you need. And obviously, you can take that to a ridiculous level where you have too many clouds and uh, the abstraction layers, uh, you know, going to be chunking along trying to get, make all this complexity uh, uh, simplified for you. But it just puts you in the in the in the catbird seat in terms of driving it. So no longer you're really kind of dependent on other cloud providers and them 
living up to their um, obligations, which most of them are, but some of them may not. But we're building systems on our terms and our ways using whatever services that we need. We don't care if it runs in a big, big, uh, big three, big four cloud provider. We're leveraging specialized services, which are able to save us a lot of money. You know, and, uh, you know, if we're in a particular vertical and do things that are going to be able to take our business to the next level. And so that becomes not just a meta cloud as an architectural trick to save money and time and, and cost, but something that's going to kind of reinvent the business to be in an agile and speed state. We're able to adapt to different changes in the marketplace, to different cloud providers, things like that, faster than our competitors and get to a point where the digital, you write about this in your book, and I think you explain it very well, get to a point where digital transformation is truly going to be a transformation of the business into something that's going to be much more valuable moving forward. And if you look at the way businesses are valued these days, and we just did a study on this at Deloitte to verify this and knew that going in the study, that those things, those digital transformation efforts lead directly to the value of the company, which if you're you know, a CEO of a company, I used to be a CEO a few times, your metrics are returning value back to the shareholders and, and to, the, to the stakeholders in the company. And so your ability to increase the value into a, per, a certain extent and understanding that innovation and execution in the market is going to increase the value, then you're doing what you need to do as a business. So you're kind of obligated to get to these kind of optimi optimized architectures that not only protects the investment now moving forward, solves, a, solves the problem as in an instance. And as you know, as an architect, that doesn't make much sense. We have to solve a problem that allows us to ongoingly solve a problem. And it's going to get to a point where no one has a stranglehold on on how you're uh, you're leveraging your business and your processes. It's completely open to you. You're able to innovate at speed. Um, you know all these things that businesses should do. And I think that's where you know kind of architecture meets the boardroom and why they really should be communicating one to another. And I think there's not a lot of discussion that's going on between the cloud innovators within a company who are building the technologies and aligning the technology stack and the business leaders within the company, they're defining where the business needs to do. And I think they're, they need to incorporate each other and understand the capabilities. And I think we're getting there, but it's going a lot slower than I thought. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book is I hopefully in many instances, boards of directors pick up the book because it's written. And I wrote about this in the, um, you know, in the, in the forward, it's written for not just uh, cloud geeks, you know, it's written for business people who want to understand the technology. Obviously, there's there's uh, specific technical terms in there, but there's no reason why an executive at a large Global 2000 company couldn't keep up with it and use it as a way to start asking the right questions to the technology team and also the technology team asking the right questions to the business. You know, shouldn't we be incorporated in what you're doing and understand and layer into what you're, uh, what the technology needs to do moving forward? And mm -hmm. so the most beautiful thing about this is you're getting into something that's going to provide scalability and innovation, but obviously it's going to lead to enhanced business value, which is the reason people are going to invest in it. So you have to prove the business value before you make the investment. And I think, you know, that's what this kind of architecture does. Yeah, the book, throughout the book, there is really good um, coverage of how technology advancements, how risks pertaining to technology um, relate to business, business value, business metrics. There's an excellent balance of that. We understand issues pertaining to multi-cloud. Multi-cloud is inevitable. It's part of our evolutionary process with cloud computing. But there's a lot of crit criticism of it because of the potential to add complexity, to now couple yourself to different providers, and to assume all of that burden moving forward despite 
perceived short-term benefits and so on. I mean, multi-cloud is something that makes sense, but this resolves it to me. This is, this is the answer to that. You know, if, if you have concerns about it, um, this model provides the basis for which you can approach that entire journey into multi-cloud and to do it right. And it's an excellent time now to introduce this because organizations, many are interested, many are forced to explore multi-cloud. And before they get too far into um, a complexity nightmare of having moved things around and committed to different contracts and reserved you know, uh, resources here and there, because at that point in time, it made sense to do so, but not understanding the governance and the ongoing evolutionary burden that that will, uh, that they will assume in the future. If this as the starting point for that, I think is a necessity. This or whatever augmentation of an organization needs, um, this right now, say, okay, multi-cloud, we abstract. And then that's how we approach and that's how we further do it. And then that gives them that freedom and flexibility. So my long-winded question to you is, um, for organizations that have already uh, ventured into multi-cloud, have already made certain um, commitments contractually or with regards to technology migration, um, and, and for those interested in it, but especially for those who are already, you know, in, in somewhat of a coupled state with those environments, what's your advice to them as to how they can repair that situation? Um, how, how can you adopt a meta cloud model if you didn't do, if you didn't use it from the beginning? Um, what, what steps would you recommend? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think it's a fair question. And the reality is that, you know, if you look at the stats, 95% of the people are leveraging more than one cloud provider right now, whether that's truly a complex multi-cloud deployment that they have or, you know, just a small number of services that they're leveraging within another cloud provider. They're heading off in that direction. It's occurring organically for the best of breed reasons we already discussed. So assume that that's going to happen to you either sooner rather, uh, either sooner or later. So the idea is we're trying to mediate the problem moving forward. Number one, if you're in a hole, quit digging. That's the big thing. So start at, uh, let's stop adding things on uh, and having to deal with uh, these things using whatever native capabilities on their terms. In other words, we have people around who are dealing with security on that particular cloud provider and uh, operations on the particular cloud provider. You need to operate them if you onboard them. I get that. And you need to do so in a native terms before you get the meta cloud or whatever uh, architectures in place, but think about doing that and thinking about onboarding. And the thing now is start thinking logically about the architecture. So if we're going to put a layer of systems above the cloud provider, understand that those cloud providers are going to change over time. So don't create that architecture that's specific to you leveraging just AWS and Microsoft or Microsoft and Google and a few other different SaaS providers and all these sorts of things. We're leveraging a series of providers now but understand that that's going to change significantly over time, and it should change significantly over time as we adapt to the needs of the business. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is to put each of these components in a logical domain, and you don't do them all at once. So I'd start with the data. 
that seems to be a great place to start. So in other words, dealing with data mitigation, data virtualization, various systems, how do I communicate with data on this particular cloud provider, this particular cloud provider, and then the future cloud providers are going to go underneath that? You know, even do a test case that if I do use this cloud provider, um, you know, how, what things have to change in the abstraction layer to make it happen. So deal with data in terms of virtualization. So have a little mini, mini meta cloud, I guess is a way I'm looking at from a logical architecture in terms of how you're going to solve that piece, but not only what you have, but how that's going to expand moving forward. As we move additional databases, that's the test case. It's never good enough for me. And I always get this uh, stuff, you know, they go, well, it works. Well, yeah, it works now, but if I put another database underneath it, it's going to break because you localized everything too much to the native capabilities of the database. And that's what abstraction and data virtualization is. So once you solve the data problem, then move the security problem. In other words, how do I deal with abstract security, perhaps even governance at the same time, above these various systems? Well, there's security managers, they're able to communicate with whatever native capabilities and interfaces that the particular cloud providers have. How do I deal with identity access management, common directory services that span the cloud? You get into the nitpicky stuff in terms of how I'm going to build this now, but also how it's going to build in the future. And once you have data and security, you're kind of on your way because you understand why we're doing this and some of the patterns of success moving forward. Next, move into operations. How are we going to operate these systems? And it, people like to throw a tool at it like AIOps, and I understand why because that's kind of the way it's sold out there. But think logically about how we're going to deal with operations. In other words, how we're going to deal with operations that are inter as it interacts with security, operations as it interacts with the database, and deal with starting things up and shutting things down and deal with operational controls, backups and recovery, BCDR, all these sorts of things at the at, at an abstract layer that's able to span across the various cloud providers. Again, you have to think about the clouds that you're running, but also think about expansion moving forward. Of course, it depends on the organization and the business. Next, get into app dev test. Uh, how are we going to build and deploy applications across the various environments and do so in an abstract layer? So our DevOps layer uh, doesn't run within a particular cloud provider. It runs across a particular cloud provider. We're able to target deployment of applications and, and uh, systems on any different clouds out there and even operate them in a federated way. And that's kind of the beauty of this. So we're creating subtraction. Why not allow these databases and applications to communicate one to another and deploy different aspects of these applications if it makes sense to do so, because most of the time it doesn't, if it's going to have a better deployment environment on multiple heterogeneous platforms versus one single platform. Then getting into performance management and getting into all aspects of it. But the thing is, what, where people do make the mistake, number one, they, they think a tool is going to do this. And one of the things when I write about MetaCloud and SuperCloud, every vendor in the world always sends me a note and they say, oh, we've had this for 10 years. Not, no, you haven't. You had a you know solution that operates across these various cloud providers. You're not a complete viable solution to make that happen. Um, so think about this logically, but work through it in domains. So if you try to boil the ocean, you try to do data security, operations, app dev, you know, and the other aspects of the meta cloud that you need to build in there, which may be bespoke to you, you're going to fail. You're just going to have too much going on at one time. Uh, it's not going to work. Focus on the data first. That's very important. It's very important that we have a unified view of the different data of the data as it exists in the databases. Focus on perhaps the AI systems. We have a unified view of not only the data, but the knowledge systems that sit on top of it and how they integrate one to another. Mm -hmm. Focus on security. Focus on operations. 
and do so in a sequential way. Now, many instances, people want to do it in parallel because they view this as a, as a massively important and therefore they mean to take it. Do it that way. If you want to do it that way, that's perfectly fine. It's just going to cost so many resources and so many mistake costs that you're going to get discouraged fairly quickly. So I urge you to kind of do it in this sequential way. We're able to do a very orderly rollout of this particular architecture where every piece is are defined. And we're doing so at number one, first, a logical layer. We're defining what it is logically and then physically. What tool stack do we need to make that happen to, to, to allow this to occur? And by the way, you may iterate through that. You may define something logically that doesn't exist from an architectural point of view. And we do that as architects all the time. When you get to looking at the market and the actual solutions that are on the market, you may have to go back to the logical layer and make some changes and adaptations as to things that are actually exist versus, you know, kind of the idea that you're, you're pie in the sky moving forward. But, you know, I talk about this in my cloud complexity management course. And the thing is, it's as an architect, I'm just a big fan of going through this stuff in a planned, methodical, well-tested, well-durable way where each component is provable into the architecture. We build this thing as making sure each component works very much like a car. We make sure the engine works. We make sure the tires turn. We make sure the steering wheel works other than just taking this big bang approach and trying to throw tools and technology at it, which is the way I see people approaching it these days. Nine times out of 10, when people talk to me about this and leveraging this kind of an architectural challenge, they, they talk to me about tools. They want to know which tool is that I need to throw at this, not necessarily understanding the problem. Uh, they talk to me about um, speed, which is good. And they talk to me about how much money it's going to take, things like that. Those are really kind of the wrong questions. The question is, what's the business need for doing this? That should be at step one. And then how you break this down into chunks or components or the domains, and you work through each domain at a time in a priority in a priority order that you think you should work into. In many instances, it's going to be data first. I'm a big fan of getting the data problem solved because everything else kind of lives on top of that. But if you have to solve security first, because you're in a particular industry where that's more important than understanding your data, moving into governance systems, moving into AI systems, and normally data and AI go at the same time, that's all fine. Um, so every one of these things, and people hate the it depends answer, and I think I wrote about this in my book a lot of times, um, but it depends. It depends on your problem domain, the business that you're in, the number of systems you're looking to manage now, how you're going to grow that business into the future, where the business needs to grow. Um, where the emphasis needs to be put on the particular architecture, which components are more important than the others, and do so in a stepwise way, which is going to ensure success. And I always tell people, if you go through this in a methodical, repeatable, well-known way where you're testing along, the, you're proving success along the way. You're not waiting to roll out this big, massive architecture and then turn, turn the thing on and hopefully it works. That's never going to work. You're proving success Along the way, you're solving lots of little problems. You're winning lots of little battles. Then it ends up building and building and building on top of this architecture, which suddenly you're going to have a complete, fully functional, you know, meta cloud architecture, which provides you with these capabilities. And we can mm -hmm. test that by adding, removing cloud services underneath it without making everything break and the ability to remove a lot of the complexity and also taking a look at the existing as is state to the to be state with the meta cloud architecture and looking at the reduction in cost and risk and making it happen. But it's not easy. Uh, it's an architectural challenge for lots of people in the organization. There's no standards you can follow, which I think is actually a good thing. People have a tendency to uh, get wrapped around the axle on standards sometimes. 
and just make the right decisions for building the application component and moving forward. But do so in a stepwise way. It's winning little things. It's getting the data controlled first and moving on to other environments. And those are the biggest mistakes I see people making right now in terms of jumping into it. They're going too fast. They're making. They're going too complex. And uh, they need to solve these problems in a method, uh, methodical, stepwise way, which many instances they're not doing it. They want fast, cheap tools, that kind of stuff doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So a mini meta abstraction layer that you grow based on your priorities. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. I think that uh, uh, you can even make the case that if all you can afford is to create a data abstraction layer, there's a certain amount of benefit just having that. So that becomes kind of a data meta cloud unto itself. Even though we right. haven't solved security, we're still dealing with security using whatever native capabilities and same with governance and maybe even the AI systems. You're going to reduce cost and risk just by making that happen. And you can prove that um, once you get the thing implemented. So basically build on that success. Go back to the board of directors and say, hey, this thing cost us uh, $5 million to build over a year's period of time. But it's going to save us $100 million a year based on this and these metrics that we're looking at and return this much value back to the business. So why don't we go ahead and do this with security and do this with governance and do this? And that's more of a realistic way of looking at it. In many instances, architects and IT folks don't have blank checkbooks. They have to work within budgets and make things happen and prove their value within the company. And that's a way to do that just by a mini success uh, and then showing people how it works and then building them on that excess to build the other aspects of a meta cloud. Hmm. I have one more question. I really want to get into federated cloud applications, but in terms of that meta domain, um, based on your experience and your insights into contemporary cloud provider environments, contemporary cloud environments now in the public domain, the resources and responsibilities you put in to the physical deployment of components that comprise the meta domain, uh, do you assess cloud providers differently or more strictly or with different criteria in terms of saying, well, okay, security should be centralized here um, operations here. Uh, is there, do you have a way of determining the best location for those parts of the meta domain? Um, and do you approach that differently from other types of resources, standard commodity resources you may put in clouds, just because of the increased importance of that centralized control and what that'll mean to the organization? How, how do you view that? How do you assess it? Yeah, another great question. I, I think that ultimately lots of these meta cloud services are going to live within particular cloud providers. And as we mentioned earlier, I wouldn't get wrapped around the axle and trying to stick everything in Amazon or everything in Microsoft or everything in Google. In other words, you're, again, you're leveraging whatever best of breed technologies as far into multi-cloud anyway that are going to provide the best layer of abstraction to provide the best services for your, your meta cloud, your meta cloud architecture. So my opinion, and it may change over time as I see some disasters start to emerge, um, my opinion is that you should have an open mind as to where those things are going to run. Uh, people are pushing forward to me that it should run on-premise, and I doubt that's the case. I doubt that you're going to find economies of scale and scalability that you need to run those things in, an, in your own data center. And you're not going to find the tools and technology you need to make it happen. So those things are going to usually exist in the cloud. And it really doesn't matter where you run, but you have to understand that you're still maintaining these systems. They become systems unto itself that you're dealing with and using your abstraction layer. So your meta cloud layer is actually managing those systems, which is the meta cloud. You know, mind blown. 
Um, <laughs> so understand that it's going to be you're building complexity into itself. So there's a trade-off to be said if you're using multiple cloud providers or using a single cloud provider moving forward. One of the things I do put forward in my book, and I do think a lot of the uh, hyperscalers out there are going to step up to the plate when they see this kind of emerge as a business, they're going to build canned metacloud layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to operate across cloud. Right now, multi-cloud is normally a, a, a bad word um, within particular cloud providers because we're leveraging other cloud providers under themselves. And that kind of goes against their business model. But I do think if there ends up being a market there, they can spend so much money and become innovative at scale to move into that space and build a obscure abstraction layer, which is able to operate across the major cloud providers. And same with data. And so it's a more of a canned approach to making it happen, kind of a meta, meta cloud in a can, so to speak. Uh, we're way off from that. Right now we have to custom build these things ourselves. They don't exist as single tools. We have different requirements in terms of how we build them. They're always going to be custom built for our particular business and, and the architectural problems that we're looking to solve. But um, I eventually see them kind of taking it over and you will we'll end up going with a particular cloud provider because they provide a kind of soup to nuts approach in making it happen. Um, I just kind of see that happening because... Any kind of market, they can outspend uh, a lot of other uh, companies in the industry. And so they'll move in that space with probably some pretty innovative and compelling solutions. But right now, you're piecemealing this together with different technologies. It really doesn't matter where they run to a certain point, but you have to consider that as an architectural trade-off and, you know, making them overly complex and then overly uh, uh, unreliable if one of the clouds starts going into outages and has security breaches, things like that. But that, that again, could be the cloud that you bet on. So mm-hmm. it's good to, to distribute the bets across different cloud providers. Do, do you see a possibility of a market emerging for meta cloud providers in terms of them, in terms of a, a segment or, or a, um, in, in terms of a cloud provider specializing only in this with the sales pitch being that if you go through us, you'll never form dependencies on the any major cloud providers. All your resources, all of your, all the stuff you need hosted will be elsewhere. But we only specialize in providing you with the centralized control with the meta domain, which means that you'll always have that abstraction and neutrality from us. Do you see that as a possibility? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think that micro clouds are going to start to emerge where they just have a specialized capability and there's no reason why their specialized cap- capability just can't be leveraging abstraction automation to create these meta clouds. Of course, the pushback that I mean, we're going to hear from that is, well, then you're putting all your eggs in the basket of that particular meta cloud provider because they become yeah. the single point of failure and they start if they go out or they go bankrupt or, you know, that kind of stuff, then we're going to end up. Yeah, and get acquired from losing it. So that's why I'm saying the bigger cloud providers probably stepping up and doing that mm-hmm. is probably more of a likely scenario. The other thing, the amount of money it would take, you know, as a product CTO to build something like that is immense. I mean, we're talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, many hundreds of millions of dollars just to get the initial prototype set up to do that. And just because it's so complex as a technology unto itself, and there's so many moving parts. So what we may see is aspects of that. In other words, we may see people show up and like, we just do the meta cloud stuff for data, or we just do meta cloud stuff for security or meta cloud stuff for AI knowledge-based integrations. We're not an AI engine unto himself, but we do provide integration and abstraction and automation for the various knowledge engines that sit in the particular cloud providers. That's probably more likely. Um, but again, the bigger guys normally would step up, out-innovate and out-spend them 
and and probably build build those environments if they think there's a viable technology. And I think mm-hmm. they would probably sell them in the marketplace. Um, so, but we're not going to be there for a while. I just don't see the innovation occurring. Everything occurs slower than I thought it was going to occur. I just don't think, think the innovation and investment in the marketplace is going to happen um, at the speed that I think it should. I think it's going to be a gradual evolution, adoption. Uh, you know, suddenly, uh, SuperCloud, MetaCloud, you know, the ability to deal with the complexity in different domains and things, centralization of things, um, because something that just kind of evolves over time. It's not this big rush into to it. And I mean, the thing is, you can also tell with the discussions. I mean, having those discussions on Cube with some very, you know, geeky publications that like this stuff, trying to predict where this thing is going to go. But I think it needs to be something that's talked about in Forbes and Business Week and mm-hmm. uh, the airline magazines, which seem for some reason have some ma- uh, amazing influential capabilities on CIOs, where it starts coming onto the radar screen very much like cloud was, you know, back in 2008, 2009, and becomes mm-hmm. something that just becomes. Uh, uh, interesting within these organizations to start making the investments in it. So we're certainly getting inquires into it at Deloitte, and uh, I'm sure other. I'm hearing other consulting firms are doing the same thing. We're seeing the inflection of the AI ops players, which are cross-cloud services. Anything that's cross-cloud now is a pretty hot technology, and it's going to be moving forward, and those are really what we're building the MetaCloud out of. But as far as fundamental fire in the belly for making it occur at speed, I haven't seen that inflection yet. We may see it. I think it'll be maybe the end of this year, early next year, when Forbes is talking about it and uh, Business Week is talking about it. It's in the Wall Street Journal, all these sorts of things where it's more of a mainstream concept, very very much like when cloud crossed the chasm, but it hasn't crossed the Mm -hmm. chasm yet. So we're early days into it. I think it makes too much sense for it not to be aggressively adopted. I think um, one of the inhibitors of that is just the understanding of um, how it changes. Like to some, it might just be another form of multi-cloud. And I think you just need to comprehend what abstraction means within this context to understand not just the advantage to evolving technology, but the genuine business benefit of this. Um, I think once there is that realization, then I would expect that to snowball into rapid adoption. I I sure hope so for the industry's sake. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn. 